0: Welcome to our study on exploring end time events. Today we're going to be taking the next step in our prophetic timeline as we look at the judgment seat of Christ as we prepare to meet the Lord. Ladies, as we explore end time events, it really makes us think about what is important in life. We saw last week that the return of Christ is imminent. That there is nothing that needs to happen before the Lord comes for his bride and church, right? And we saw how in light of eternity, those little things of life that gnaw at us, they just simply don't matter anymore. The things in life that get under our skin seem small and insignificant. If I were to ask you, what is most important to you? How would you answer that question? Well ladies, I'd like you to hear from some people who were asked that very question and see how they answered it. Please listen.
1: What's most important to me? That's a good question, isn't it? I don't know, I couldn't tell you. Having fun and doing good and being rich. Being successful in life, I guess. I'd say God, God, country, and doing what's right. Finding a good job. The family and all the good, stuff.
0: good health is most important. What is most important? Did you know that you are most important to God? But the question is, is He most important in your life, ladies? The events on the, our prophetic timeline that we're going to be exploring today is extremely important to understand. We have repeatedly studied scripture that shows us how to live godly lives. That we are to live as unto the Lord, glorifying His name in everything that we do. We have showed how we are blessed here on earth as we develop a deeper relationship with God. Well ladies, today we will see how living godly lives today on earth will affect us. In eternity. Notice. That our prophetic timeline. Has now expanded from the last one that I gave you. And we will be going over that in a few minutes. But just to recap. Last week. We saw the events. Of the first coming of Christ. Until his second coming. Illustrated. In the Jewish wedding of biblical times. We ended. With the bridegroom coming to receive his bride and taking her to his father's house which by analogy is Christ right he is our bridegroom meeting his bride the church in the air which is known as the rapture of the church and he is taking us to the father's house in heaven to dwell in the place which he has prepared for us now on the prophetic timeline we will now see after The rapture of the church. Events that are happening simultaneously over a seven year period in heaven and on earth. Notice that the events here on earth are ones that you hear a lot about. You have the seven year tribulational period where you see the wrath of God here on earth. And we're going to be exploring that not today but at a later class. the one I want to talk about today is one that you don't hear a lot about, and that is what is happening in heaven after the rapture of the church, which is the judgment seat of Christ, which is also known as the Bema seat. And then you'll also see in your timeline, it shows the marriage of the Lamb. Well, ladies, this is so important that I want you to really grasp what is going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. That we are going to spend a few classes here. What we are going to learn will affect us on how we live today and how we live throughout eternity. Last week we saw how at any moment Christ could come to take us home to heaven. That we are to be ready as it says in Matthew 24:44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, how are we to be ready? How can we be ready for Christ's coming? Well, Scripture tells us that we are to be eagerly awaiting that day. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 10. It says, And to wait for His Son from heaven... Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Oh, ladies, it is important here to keep in mind that the word waiting in the Greek is not some passive activity. Rather, the Greek word for wait is very emphatic. It means to eagerly be awaiting, eagerly awaiting implying that there's certain unsettledness or a feeling that our present circumstances are only temporary. The Thessalonian people were actually eagerly awaiting so much that it was as if they stayed up all night waiting for Christ's return. That was how they felt that Christ was coming at any moment. Ladies, remember, this is not our home. Our home awaits us in heaven. This life here is only temporary, and we need to be ready to go home in the twinkling of an eye. We need to be eagerly waiting that day. Now let's turn over to James chapter 5 and look at verses 7 through 9 as we listen to Dr. Ronald Showers taking us to the next step on our timeline.
2: They were right in having this expectancy. Then a a third passage that I'd like to focus our attention upon for the imminency of the Lord's return is in the book of James, and this is found in in chapter 5 of James, and we want to begin with verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be you also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. I'd like to draw your attention to uh, two verb forms that Paul uses here. At the end of verse 8, he says, The coming of the Lord draws nigh. And then in verse 9, the judge stands before the door. very important thing to note here is that in the, uh, in the original language that James wrote, uh, both of those verbs are in what the Greeks call the perfect tense. And the significance of the Greek perfect tense was that it's referring to an action that was completed in the past, but then there's a resultant state that continues on from that action. It just continues on indefinitely. What, is, what James is indicating thereby is this, that the Lord's coming had already drawn near before James wrote this letter, and the Lord's coming continues to be near at hand, uh, even while James wrote the letter and would continue thereafter. And as well, the judge stands before the door. He was saying that there's a sense in which Jesus Christ, as the judge of believers, took his position at the door of heaven and was standing there, Uh, he even took that position began to stand there before James wrote this epistle and he continues to stand at the door of heaven a number of scholars that have researched on this said James is trying to emphasize to his readers the imminency of the Lord's return the idea is the Lord could come as the judge of heaven through that door of heaven at any moment and then immediately Christians would stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ to have their works as believers evaluated by the Lord It's imminency that he's talking about here. And I'm convinced that uh, just as it was imminent back then, the Lord could have stepped through the door of heaven at any moment at that time. The same is true today, that Christ could step through the door of heaven at any moment and we who are believers in Jesus Christ would be ushered into his presence and then would stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ to have our works evaluated by the Lord.
0: Behold, The judge stands before the door. Here we find ourselves on this glorious day when we hear the call to meet Christ in the air. And now we find ourselves standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. Look over to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. It's not for non believers. Remember, we, the church, were just raptured up, and so we are here in heaven. And now we stand before Christ at that judgment seat. So it's just for believers. This is not the great white throne judgment that you hear about that is for the unbelievers at a later time who rejected christ and they will be judged for their sins at that time this is not what we are talking about here at the judgment seat of christ we are not judged for our sins nor are we judged whether we are saved or lost that has been taken care of already christ paid the price for our sins at the cross of calvary It says in Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of our sins, ladies. It is an evaluation of our lives where we will be held accountable for what we did with the opportunities that were presented to us, whether good or bad. Notice that the verse says, we must appear. There is no exception. As we see here in Second Corinthians 5.10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then it goes on and continues to tell us why. It says, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ladies, this is where, if we have been faithful... In the opportunities that have been set before us, that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The judgment seat of Christ is often called the Bema seat. Well, literally the Bema refers to a raised platform that was used for the assembly where speeches were given and crowns were awarded to the winners. In ancient Rome, the Caesars, they would sit on a tribunal to award those who had been made heroic contributions in winning battles. And if you visit Corinth today, you can still see its bima. There is a large, once elaborately decorated platform located on the edge of the Agora, which is the ancient and roman marketplace. The platform was raised to allow crowds to hear the judgments as they were announced. Well, the Apostle Paul, he draws on this firsthand because he had the knowledge of the Bema at Caesarea, Corinth, and Athens. And when he describes the judgment seat of Christ, he knows firsthand what that's like. There was a natural correlation between them. Now, in the Greek athletic games, victorious athletes appeared before the Bema to receive their laurel crown and to hear the accommodation of the judge notice that at the heavenly Bema the victorious Christians will appear before the Bema also the Bema seat of Christ to receive their rewards and crowns and to hear well done in the accommodation of their judge but for not living our lives totally to Christ the Bema seat could be a very sobering time instead of hearing well done and receiving rewards we will see all the missed opportunities that we had that we could have received a reward for the Bema of Christ it dwarfs all other tribunals for here we shall be called into account Before an all knowing judge. Ladies, imagine staring into the face of Christ, just the two of you, one on one. Your entire life is present before you. And in a flash, you see your life as He sees it through His eyes. There's no hiding. There's no opportunity to put a better spin on what you did. There's no attorney to represent you. It's you and Christ, one on one. And the look in his eyes says it all. Remember who the judge is. It's Jesus Christ. And he knows everything about you, he knows your thoughts, he knows your motives. Behind every act that we do. Ladies, motive plays a huge role in what is judged and acceptable at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is all-knowing and he sees your heart attitude. So you may be serving the Lord in a ministry. Giving your whole heart into this ministry. But if your heart attitude is to say, look at me. Look how I am serving the Lord. Then you have just lost your reward in heaven. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. And let's look at verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. We are not to be men-pleasers, but God-pleasers. Ladies, I could put hours into studying to present this message to you. But if my motive is not pure, if my motive was only to bring glory to myself and say, look at me, then I have lost my reward. There may be some who are blessed by the class, but the results don't justify the means. The word never goes void, and it will bless other people. But if my motives are wrong. I will not receive a reward for that. We need to watch our motives. Ladies, our motive should be to glorify God to live for Him. Our motive should be to bring others to Christ for His name to be glorified. Our motive should be to help others to pursue a deep personal relationship with Christ. Our service, ladies, is not about us. It is about Christ. What are you doing to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing to that brings honor and glory to God in your life? When you stand before Jesus Christ, what is he going to say about what you did for him? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Ladies, the Lord alone justifies a man in his ministry. This is a significant statement by Paul. Only Christ can judge a man and the faithfulness of his life and ministry. Therefore, believers are not to judge A believer cannot know the hidden things of darkness within a man. Only Jesus Christ can bring the secret, the hidden things, out into light. No man knows the real motives within a man. Only Christ can reveal the motives and counsels of the heart. So we need to be careful that we don't judge others because God is going to be our judge. Ladies, we need to be living for God's glory and not ours. What we do here determines the rewards we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. We want to hear our Savior say, well done, don't we? Ladies, living godly lives here on earth now will have an impact throughout eternity, as we will see as we continue our study. Now, we are not talking about a work-based faith here, where we have to work for our salvation No, salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, right? It is a free gift by the grace of God. It is nothing that we could do to earn it, but it is by the grace of God. When Christ died for us on the cross of Calvary, he cried out, it is finished. Because all that needed to be done to pay the penalty for our sins was complete. Ladies, he paid our debt in full. That was taken care of. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ladies, notice that it says we are His workmanship. We have talked about this that He has a plan and a purpose for us, and that He has prepared it beforehand. Don't miss those opportunities that is provided for us. Make sure you are in your Word of God so that you can hear what He is wanting to tell you, so you don't miss those opportunities. Ladies, we should live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. We are to apply all that we have and all that we are toward a useful life for our Savior this is what brings God glory now some will say well I don't want to serve the Lord just to receive a reward I serve the Lord because I love him well that is great right and that's the way it should be we should have that motive that we love God and that is why we do what we do But just like anything else, we have a sinful nature. And our motives, well, they don't always go in the right direction, do they? If we really realistically think about it. My motivation for living a godly life is to please the Lord. To be able to stand before Him and have Him say, Well done. We should have an attitude like Paul. As he said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Ladies, let's keep our eye on the goal. The first time I heard about the judgment seat of Christ, it was very sobering. And it really set a spirit inside me of accountability. It set in me a drive to strive to keep my motives in check. It was sobering to me to hear that there are rewards that I could have received if I had only not missed that opportunity. It made me want to be a better Christian, to not take my salvation for granted, to bring honor and glory to God in every aspect of my life so that Christ would be glorified in my life. To press on toward the goal. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's read verses 13 to 15. It says, Each one's work will become clearer. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work. And what sort it is. If anyone's work... Which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. So here we start to see that there will be a twofold result at the evaluation. You're going to see rewards received and rewards lost. Some scholars say that there will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ because as it says here in these verses that all will become clear as our works will be tested by fire Ladies, those that do not burn up will receive rewards but for those that do burn are represented by those missed opportunities the rewards we could have had that we will suffer the loss picture you standing there and a heap of your works all laid up in front of you and you set a match and it burns up and it burns up until there's this little pile that is what is going to be sobering to see all of these things that you've done and they're not worthy because maybe your motive wasn't right you didn't do it for the lord you did it for yourself they're going to burn it's perhaps why in 1 john chapter 2 verse 28 it says and now little children abide in me so that when it appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming ladies if we are living godly lives doing what we know is right turning away from those things that are not pleasing to God then we will have more confidence in Christ's return and standing before him at the judgment seat but if we are doing our own thing living life to its fullest in a selfish living then, ladies, we're not prepared and we will shrink away in shame. There might be some acts that you don't even realize that you will receive rewards for. Maybe you've given a cup of water to somebody in need and it was just a natural response for you to help them. God sees that. He sees your attitude. Maybe it was a smile that you gave to somebody and it made them feel good. That could be a reward. All these opportunities that we have in life, we can answer it or we can turn our back to it. You can receive a reward or lose it. I'd like you to listen to author and pastor John Piper. Here he is speaking to a lot of young people at this time. But what he has to say applies to us all. Please listen.
1: You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. Do you want your life to count? You don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious Unchanging, eternal things, and be gripped by them, and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you; it's, it's what, what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell, and that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliasson, over 80, single all her life a nurse poured her life out for one thing to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places Laura Edwards medical doctor in the Twin Cities and then in retirement partnering up with Ruby also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go. And they're dead instantly. And I ask my people, Is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30 foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord my shell collection and I've got a good swing and look at my boat God look at my boat God well not for Ruby and not for Laura don't waste your life don't waste it.
0: Seashells, ladies, doesn't mean anything to God, does it? Our collections, the little things that we do in life that we think is so important, if it's not for God, it'll burn. Only in this life can we impact our eternity. Ladies, we need to just pause here for a second allow the reality of standing before Jesus Christ sink into your consciousness. Just Christ and you standing there. Just Christ and me. Face to face. Seeing our lives through Christ's eyes. What is he going to see? Scripture doesn't say that we go as a group So you can hide behind somebody else. It says. In Romans 14.12. So then. Each of us. Shall give an account. Of himself. To God. Ladies. Each one of us. Individually. Will stand. And be accountable. To what we've done for God. Next week we are going to continue our study on the judgment seat of Christ. As we learn more. Of what will take place there. Ladies, let this be a motivation for you to live every moment of your day for Christ. Don't let the little things of life drag you down. Don't let those little things of life turn you away where you miss an opportunity. Ladies, don't waste your life. Until next week. God bless.